verse 18 through 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. These passages and the main point of the message today is that God is faithful. Let's read. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Well, this passage, 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18, we have a little phrase, God is faithful. And that's the main thing I want to say today, that God is faithful. Why, why preach on this verse? Why does this verse matter? Well, I'm going to try and explain what these three verses mean. But before I do, let me just say why this matters for everyone here today. As I already mentioned, this life is very short, very temporary. And we're all soon going to meet God. We'll all see Him face to face. But the Scriptures say that God has sent His Son. As the, as the Father is faithful, so the Son of God is faithful. And God has made promises. Promises of eternal life. And these promises are faithful. That is, they're trustworthy. You could say it another way. God is faithful. Or you could say, God is, can be believed. He's trustworthy. And I know that many people don't trust God. They don't trust Him. And maybe you have a lot of reasons why you don't trust other people, but I hope that by the end of the time today, any excuse or any lie as to why you could not trust God with your soul will be stripped away. People can fail you. They can fail to be your friend. They can fail to be a husband or wife to you. You can be failed by people at work. You can be failed by the government. People fail. Money fails. Strength fails. Everything in this life fails, but God doesn't fail. He never fails. He is completely trustworthy. Everything He says happens. Everything He does is perfect. And you need to trust Him with all of your soul. You were created by God and for God. And you can come to Him. So first, let's think about this. What are some of the ways in which God is faithful? There's a lot of ways. This is a big subject in the Bible. If you type the word into the computer, faithful, there's all kinds of verses. And from experience, if you walk with the Lord for a little while, you know about His faithfulness. It's just a joy to Christians to sing of how faithful He is. We sang yesterday, Great is Thy Faithfulness. He's faithful in little things. To provide daily bread. To give food to the sparrows. That the sun and the moon shine. That we keep breathing. Uh, I was in Bangladesh and I was in the, the heart of the city coming back from a trip. And it was real early in the morning, maybe four or five. Everybody was asleep. The sun had not really come out yet. And there's these huge buildings all around me. And millions of souls asleep. And God is giving them all breath while they sleep. He's faithful. He does so many things for every person all the time. Even you guys remember, I was here a couple of years ago and they put my heart up on the screen with the ultrasound. My heart was beating and everybody could watch it. He's faithfully caused your heart to beat. Year after year, moment by moment, in things big and small, God is faithful. He's faithful to encourage us. 
when we go through trials, when we get discouraged, when we don't know the way, he's faithful to guide us. He's faithful to protect us from temptations. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. He's faithful to surround us. When enemies come in, when a war breaks out against our soul, he's faithful to uphold us. He's faithful to to choose what will happen in the course of our life, where we'll go, where we will live. I came back now. I have a wife. I'm married now. God is faithful. He's always giving things. He's always helping, always doing, always establishing His Word. But this is what I really want to focus on today. God is faithful to save He can save your soul. And He's faithful. You can't save yourself. And nobody else can save you. And if they try, they're going to fail. But God will not fail. He's faithful to save. Let's just think about some examples here. What I I want you to see, look at the passage again. Verse 18, God is faithful. Verse 19, the Son of God, Christ Jesus, not yes and no, but is yes. Verse 20, the promises of God, they are yes. So what is it saying? Uh, I'll explain the passage just briefly because I don't feel I understand it all that well. It's kind of a tricky passage. Some of the pronouns and some of the things I don't fully understand. But I know this, God is faithful The Son of God, Christ Jesus, is faithful. The promises of God are faithful. You saw that in there? Jesus is not yes and no. He's yes. All the time. Every time. And the promises of God are not yes and no. They're not maybe. Maybe if I believe the promise, it'll be true. No, it's yes. Faithful. Trustworthy. So, we'll look at this. First, God is faithful. Think about what we see in the Old Testament right from the beginning. You've got people in tough situations. God has spoken a word to them. What's going to happen? So, one of the first characters, Abraham. What did God tell Abraham? He said, you're going to have a son. Abraham was how old? He was really old. (laughs) Beyond the years of having a child. But the Scriptures say... That not only Abraham, but even Sarah, by faith, she believed that God was faithful to to perform what He had promised. And she conceived. And God was faithful. They had a son against all odds. An impossible situation. And then, it looked even worse. It looked like the son had come, and now he was going to be killed. Abraham was being asked by God to kill his son. And it looked like it was over. And yet, God is faithful. And right at the last minute, right before he struck with the knife, God spoke to him. And the son was spared. God was faithful. His promise didn't fail. Think about Joseph, another one of the patriarchs, one of the great men of old. God spoke to him too. What was his word to Joseph? He had these special dreams. They were not normal dreams. That he was going to be Lord and that his, his brothers and even his parents would bow down to him. The only problem is he went to jail after that and he went, he went lower and lower and lower and it looked like there was no hope. And yet God was faithful through this amazing series of events. He brought him out and he did become Lord and they did bow down to him. Joshua. What did God tell Joshua? Joshua chapter 1. What did He tell him when they were going into the land? Moses was giving him his charge. And he said this. He said, I will not fail you or forsake you. You go in there. You fight against the nations. I'm not going to fail you. I'll be faithful. And so they go up to the first city. It's got these huge walls. And their army's not that great. And what do they do? They march around the outside of the walls. Normally that would not do anything. But God was faithful. And in a, in a miraculous act of power, the walls came crumbling down. The promise was fulfilled. 
Rahab in that story, she had received word from the people of God, a covenant that she would not be killed. She would be spared from judgment. She was in the city of destruction. Everybody else was going to die, but she made peace with the people of God. And because of that, God spoke a word to her. She was going to be safe. Her family was going to be safe. And God was faithful. When the city came tumbling down, she was fine. Her household was fine. They were saved and spared. And we see this all throughout the Bible. You could multiply many, many examples. God is faithful. And whenever He promises something, He does it. It doesn't matter what it has to take to do it, to fulfill His Word. He's going to do it. He's going to find a way. Even if it looks impossible, you can trust God. And there are many impossible situations today in people's lives where they are lost in sin and they feel hopeless, they feel paralyzed. They feel like, I can't be saved. I don't know what to do. Is there any hope for me? They feel hopeless. But we're learning something here. God is faithful. This is what it says. If you want, you can turn here. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Now think about this. What's it saying? God isn't a man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't repent. If he says something, he will do it. This is a part of God's character. He tells the truth. It says it's impossible for God to lie. Has God ever spoken to you? Did it come true, what He said? Are you still waiting to see if it will come true? I can guarantee you this. If God speaks to you, it's going to happen. Whatever He says, you can mark it down. It will happen. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't repent. God is not like a man. And we can be really thankful of that. Because you know many times, some of you, um, especially the youth here, you've grown up in Christian homes, and even the best Christian can fail you. The best mom or dad. You can't put your hope in them. Because they can fail you. But God is... Faithful. The the believer that's learned to trust God, even in the most bitter providence, the most bitter circumstance, they can have peace. They can have assurance. And so we see this with Job. Remember with Job, all of his children were killed. All of his possessions were lost. And even his own body, Even his own body began to fail. His health began to fail. But Job was a believer. And what did he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He trusted that God was faithful in his circumstances and what he was allowing to happen in his life. We're going to come back to this, but that whole point with Job is is very important. A true believer... No matter what happens, they will look beyond even what their eyes can see, like Abraham, or like Joseph, or like Joshua, seeing these huge walls. They'll look beyond even what their eyes can see, and they'll believe something about God, that He's true. He's not a liar. God is good. God is faithful. He's trustworthy. I can trust Him. I've talked to people before, you can't even get to the gospel with them because right away they've already got a grudge in their heart against God. You can't even begin to talk about Jesus Christ because already in their heart they've decided God is not a good God. I know what's right and wrong. I know what's best for my life. And God didn't do it the way I wanted. He didn't do it the way I thought. And they've ruled out in their mind. But you know what the scripture says? Let God be true and every man a liar. 
We may not understand God, but we can, we can know this. God is true and He is faithful. And you've got to settle that. You've got to mark that down. Well, this is the first point, but we can't stop here just with God is faithful because a lot of people know this. Even lost people will say, yeah, God is faithful. He's been providing for me. He's put food on the table. Um, he's, he's given us good health. He's taken care of our children. God is faithful. And yet they're as far away from God as they could ever be. We have to go deeper. And we'll see that. Look in verse 19, second phrase. The Son of God, Christ Jesus. The Son of God, Christ Jesus, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. It's an interesting little word at the beginning of verse 19. For, this phrase here, for the Son of God. He's proving something. He says, God, as God is faithful. Now, why is he taking the time to do all this? If you read 2 Corinthians, the problem was Paul said, I'll come and visit you again in Corinth, and he never came. And he thought, I think, that that would look bad on him and look bad on the gospel. We just, he thought maybe they'd misunderstand. Maybe Paul just thought, oh, it's not that big of a deal. If I keep my word, the Corinthians aren't that important. I've got better things to do. Well, Paul wanted to reassure them, no, I had a very good reason for not coming. I was thinking of your good. I was thinking of your joy. I didn't want to cause you sorrow when I came. And so I've been waiting. And so I wrote this letter instead. But to prove it, he appeals to God's faithfulness. And he's saying this, we preach the gospel. Remember, we preach about God and we preach about Jesus Christ. And when we came and told you about Jesus Christ, Jesus wasn't that way. He wasn't back and forth. You could totally trust what we were saying. You could totally trust Jesus Christ. And he's saying in the same way, that's our, that's our attitude toward you. And this is a good thing to appeal to. Jesus Christ can show us the faithfulness of God more than anybody else. The Old Testament stories are good, but the Bible says they're shadows. And if all you know about is God being faithful to put bread on the table or God being faithful to get you out of the hospital or whatever, you have not even begun to see the faithfulness of God. Look at Jesus Christ. He is yes. He is true. The faithful and true. Jesus said this. He said, I am the truth. I am the truth. In Revelation, He's called the faithful and true. When Jesus would preach, he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly. When, he would, when, when we read the Bible, he would say things like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We get that from Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus tells the truth like it is. So his words are trustworthy. Jesus said, I came into the world to testify of the truth. Who is Jesus Christ? The Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God. You want to hear God's voice? Listen to Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? The Bible says Jesus is the image of God. You want to see God? Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever sees me sees the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Just look at me and you'll see the Father. Just as God is faithful, Jesus Christ is faithful. But it's not just what he says, it's what he does. And the, the point of today is this, God is faithful to save. Jesus Christ was faithful to save. We can look at small examples like um, when Jesus would do miracles. Sometimes he did some pretty amazing things. Like one time with Peter, he said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And try and catch some fish. And Peter said, Lord, we fished all night and we worked hard and caught nothing. But because you said it, I'll do it. And so they cast it over and it came up full of fish. Because he's trustworthy. Another time, there was a man with a withered hand. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Now that's a really foolish thing to tell somebody to do. The whole point is he can't stretch out his hand. 
It's impossible. But Jesus said it, and He did it. He stretched out His hand, and it was made well. He's demonstrating that He has power to back up what He says. In fact, people began to trust Him so much that even when He would say nothing, they believed Him. People would cry out to Him, and everybody would tell Him to be quiet, and Jesus would pay Him no attention, and they would just keep crying out and keep crying out, asking to be saved. Son of David, have mercy on me. They trusted that He'll hear my voice. He'll help me. That one Syrophoenician woman, she came to Him, and he didn't, he didn't pay her any attention, and then He began to talk very hard toward her, very negative toward her. But she just kept believing And he said, your faith is great. She realized who he was. She trusted him because he's trustworthy. It was a test of her faith and she passed. Will you believe Jesus Christ? Will you take him for who he is? The centurion trusted him and said, Lord, you don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word. I trust you so much. I know even if we just stand here and you just say the word back home. My servant's going to be healed. That's who Jesus was. That's how trustworthy he was. But let's think about what did he really do? Why did Jesus come? He didn't come just to teach. He didn't come just to give us a book to read, to start a new religion. He came to save people from their sins. How did he do it? He was faithful. He was faithful in his life. He never once disobeyed God. Never once. Everything God asked him to do, he did it. Everything God told him to say, he said it. Every test and every temptation, when the devil would come to him, put a temptation in his lap, Jesus Christ would turn to God. He turned to the Father. He'd use the word of God, drive away the devil. He was obedient from beginning to end. He was sinless. Now everybody in this room, I don't know everybody here because there's some people visiting, but I know this, you've all sinned. You've all done what is evil in God's sight. But Jesus Christ never did that. He was totally unique. He was faithful. Sinless. In His death, His darkest hour, when He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, His greatest moment of trial and temptation, He was faithful, even then. Father, not my will, but Your will be done. He was obeying up to the very end. He was being faithful unto death. And He would take the cup and drink the cup and die on the cross, serving us to save us. A sacrificial death. When he was risen from the dead, he said it was going to happen. He said, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. And he came back to life. He held good to his word. This is Jesus' main work. His life, his death, his resurrection. He was faithful. It was not yes and no. He finished the work. He accomplished what God had given him to do. But we have to go farther still. Many of you know this, and yet you're still not saved. Many people, they learn about Jesus Christ. They learn that He's the Son of God, one with the Father, sent to the earth, the only hope of mankind, that He lived a righteous life, That he died as a substitution on the cross in our place. That he rose again from the dead. And yet they're still not saved. So we have to go farther than this. Look in verse 20. The promises. God is faithful. Well, how? How do we know that? Well, Jesus was faithful. And in verse 20, the promises of God, in him they are yes. The promises of God, the words that He's spoken, specifically this, about how sinners can be saved. It's true. The invitation, the offer of life is true. 
And God will keep his word. The promises are not yes and no. Jesus said that not even the smallest stroke or letter of the law will fail until everything is accomplished. Everything written in the Bible will be fulfilled. Much of it has already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And much of it in the future will find its fulfillment through Jesus Christ. Not one word will fail. Jesus said this, Heaven and earth can pass away, but my words will never pass away. You can read a lot of things in the newspaper, watch it on TV, even study it in school, and it's wrong. It'll prove, out, it'll prove to be false. You can follow a man, you can follow a friend, you can follow a professor, you can follow your parents, you can follow other people's advice, and it can be dead wrong on the way to go, like the Pharisees, the blind leading the blind. You can't trust in man. You cannot trust what man says. Anyone that puts their trust in man is under a curse, that, that relies on the flesh, that thinks they have the ability with their own mind to know God and find God and study God. That's foolishness. You cannot search out God. You cannot put God under a microscope. You have to hear from Him and believe Him. Have you ever heard from God? The words of God? That's why we have the promises here in the Bible. What God promises to do for us. Jesus said this. He said, I will give my life as a ransom for many people. I'll give my life as the price of freedom for many people. And it's true, he did it. He paid, he really paid the price through his death on the cross. He said that this cup of the new covenant in my blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And it really was. His blood is really able to forgive sins. Nothing else can wash away sin in this life. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that where your trust is? In the blood of Jesus Christ? He said this, Whoever believes on the Son will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe in Him, His word will be true. You'll have everlasting life. It's a promise. Whoever. Do you want everlasting life? You can get it from Jesus Christ. It's promised. For whoever. He said this, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I will never cast you out. Have you come to him? He promises to give rest. Rest, what kind of rest? Easy life? No. Forgiveness of sin. Spiritual rest. Rest in your soul. Peace in your heart. Your life will be real hard, but you'll have peace in your heart. He promises that. Now, I know many people, they hear these words and they don't believe the personal invitation. That's where the problem lies. You can believe the facts about there is a God. He is faithful or he is good. He does what he wants. He does what he says. You can believe the facts about Jesus Christ. But have you heard his promises made to you? Has the Bible ever been made personal to you? Can you take your, your Bible and write your name in the verses where Jesus is promising eternal life? Many people, they refuse to do it. And what they're saying is, I can't trust God. God is not good. God is not faithful. Maybe He's going to lie to me. They're throwing, throwing mud on the character of God. Why don't you trust Him? Why don't you come to Him? He'll uphold His promise. And he'll say, he said this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I know many people, they say, Well, I'm not saved. Have you called on the Lord? Well, no, not really. I mean, I tried to call on Him one time and God just failed me. What are they saying? They're saying this, God wasn't faithful. Jesus wasn't faithful. His promises weren't faithful. That's not true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So now we get to the application. Verse 20 says, In Him they are yes, 
Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God. This is the whole point of why I'm sharing what I'm sharing. You have to say amen. Otherwise you bring no glory to God from your life. Otherwise these promises will not be on you. The blood of Jesus will not be covering you. God will not be over you faithfully as a father, as a savior. You have to say amen. You have to take hold of the promises of God. So I'm going to talk about a few kinds of people, and I want you to think about where you are. First of all, there are some people, they don't say amen. They refuse to say amen. Why would these people turn down the promises of God? They say, no, I don't believe any of that. You know, really what's at, the, what's at the root of it is they don't see their great need. And that's not just the people out there in the world. People come to church all the time and in their mind they're thinking, I don't believe a word that person's saying. And you know what? Many times people are puffed up with pride and self-righteousness and they feel like, I don't need God. I'm doing fine on my own. I can live an independent life. That's what the Bible says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. I've got my own way. I've got my own life. I've got my own plan. And I don't need God, and I don't need the promises of God. Now, what's the solution to this? You know, it's like if, you try, if you're a Christian and you're trying to witness to somebody, and they don't, they just, they don't want to hear it. Have you ever been in that position? You're trying to share with them the good news. Hey, Listen, friend, I've got good news. There's a Savior. He died on the cross. You can have all your sins forgiven. And it's like you're trying to give them this gift. And just, no, no, I don't want that. Get that away. It's like you're trying uh, to put a robe on someone who's already wearing clothes. It's awkward. Just, no, I don't need that. It's like you're trying to give medicine to somebody that's not sick. No, I don't want to take that. All the time in my family, this happens. All my family members try and give me medicine. I don't need that. I'm fine. And it's like, it's annoying to the person. Um, it's like, for example, if someone goes swimming in the pond or in the pool and they're just having a good time swimming around and you throw them a lifeline. It's like, get that out of my way. I'm just swimming. I'm doing fine. It looks embarrassing. It looks awkward. Trying to put a flotation device or a life jacket on somebody. I don't need the life jacket. Many people, you know, they get in the canoe. Oh, I don't need the life jacket. They go out there without it. They get in the boat. But the problem is this. Most people are having fun in the world and they don't realize the great danger. They don't realize the desperate situation. Until someone understands the bad news... Jesus Christ will never make sense to them. So, I would say this. Think of the Scripture. Jesus Christ came. It's a, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. What's the rest of the verse? Of whom I'm chief. And this is what I think the problem is. Let me explain something to you. Most people, if you ask them, they will say, yes, I'm a sinner. Have you ever done that? You go out witnessing in the street, you start talking to someone, and you ask someone. Maybe, maybe you don't know any better, so you just kind of ask it in a polite way. Well, are you a sinner? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. That's what they say. As soon as they say, I'm a sinner, immediately they will say, we're all sinners. Have you ever noticed that? Now, why do they do that? Why do they follow it up by saying we're all sinners? This is what they're saying. You can translate that. I'm just as good as everyone else. I had someone the other day, I was witnessing to them in Texas, I think. And I said, well, what does the Bible call a person who sins? And they said, an unperfect person. I said, no. I said, what is the Bible? What do you call a person who sins? An unperfect person. You see what they're saying in their mind? I'm not that bad. We're all basically okay. We're just less than perfect, but we're still good. 
Maybe not perfect, but we're good. And this is the problem, that pride has rooted itself so deep in the human heart that men cannot even see themselves for who they are. It's one thing to say, I'm a sinner, but that's not what the verse says. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Have you ever seen yourself as the chief of sinners? Are you the worst sinner that you know? When you think of sin, do you think of other people or do you think of yourself? Have you looked properly in the mirror of God's word? This is the reason why most people, they go to a church, they hear the gospel, they hear about Jesus Christ and they're not saved. It's because they've never been humbled in the sight of God. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will exalt you. Everyone who exalts himself, God will humble. But the one who humbles himself is broken. God will exalt. Have you ever been broken for your sin? I want to ask you that because the very first time I got broken for my sin in my life, I was saved that night. You have to see what the Bible says. You have to understand what the Bible says about sin. Let me paint the big picture for you. The Bible says that God is good. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. He is a good God. He is a faithful God. He's a loving God. And He created the whole world. Everyone in Kirksville, everyone in India, everyone in Bangladesh. He created the whole world and everything in it. And when he created it, it was good. And when he created man, it was very good. And then he gave man one law. Not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was that about? Man took from the tree, he took from the fruit, and he ate it and broke God's law. One law. What law did he break? Why this law? This is what God was saying. You can have everything. You can be in a relationship with me. We can love one another. We can walk on this earth together. That's why we were created, to know God and love God. But you can't be God. I've created you for my glory. The one thing you cannot do is be God. And Adam said, I'm going to take from this tree the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil said, when you, if you eat of this, you will not die. You'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. I'll decide what's right and wrong. I'll decide the path for my life. And this is the great sin. That men, instead of loving God, they would steal the place of God. Pride rose up in the heart very early on. And all men stood condemned. And now, every day, every generation, in every place, the same thing is happening. People grow up. They go to their schools, they get their jobs, they live their life, they have their families, but they still have not bowed the knee to God. They still want to be God in their heart. And they commit the same sin day after day, not loving God, loving self more than God. And it's evil. Being full of pride, being independent. This is the picture that the Bible's painted. There is a holy God and sin is offensive to him and pride God hates. You know, the Bible says that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. Number one, haughty eyes. First on the list, proud heart, haughty eyes. You don't have to go out and murder someone to be guilty in God's sight. All you have to do is think you're better than everybody else. You don't have to go out and commit adultery or immorality. You don't have to be worldly. You don't have to dress immorally like Kevin was saying over in England. God sees the heart. He doesn't look on the outside. He's looking on the inside. When David had a realization of his sin, it was this. Against you and you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You realize that sin is evil. Have you ever seen your sin as against a good and loving God? As being evil. When you disobey your parents. That's an evil thing you're doing against God. Rejecting his authority. 
When you get in a fight with another person, the Bible says you strike a man, what are you doing? You're not, you're not sinning against man. You're sinning against God. That person was made in the image of God. You just touched him. It's like you just took a strike at God. And the heart is so full of sin. And I just want to ask you, have you ever realized that you are a part of the problem? You can't just say, I, 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 there was a man on the university campus the other day. He said, well, what would you tell me about the problem of evil? Well, what I tried to tell him was, you're a part of the problem. The problem of evil. So we have to be broken. We have to be humbled. You don't have to drag this out. You don't have to make months and months of a repentance to come to God. If you would just humble yourself and say amen to what the Bible says. The Bible says the holy law of God has been broken. The Bible says there is a curse. The soul that sins shall die. Can you say amen to that? The Bible says that after this life is judgment. And those that don't have their names written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Can you say amen to that? If you can, you can be saved. This is what I'm trying to get at. If you can realize that God is not a liar, that the Bible is true, even if you can't explain it all, even if you don't understand it all, you can say this, well, I know, I know that I have sinned against God. I know that I am unworthy. I know that I need help. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. If you will just admit the simplest thing and say amen, not just to the nice promises, not just to the good news, but to the bad news, you would find yourself saved very quickly. You could go home today from this meeting saved. I hope that you will. I hope that the power of the Lord will be present so that you will be saved today. Some people don't say amen. And if you don't say amen to God's judgment against sin, then you can't say amen to Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. I know there's nothing I could do to save myself. I lived such a wicked life for 15 years. Growing up in my house, hating my parents, hating my brothers and sisters, hating people at school, selfish, I was a jerk to people, I did whatever I wanted, my thoughts were on me, my thoughts were on filthy things, my thoughts were on the world, I was greedy, everything was about me, and it was a, it was a twisted life, a perverted life, a sinful life, I needed a savior. And God began to speak to my heart and I realized I'm in big trouble with God. Let me say a word to the children, all the children, all of you children that can hear me and understand. I want to say something very simple and very clear so that you can understand. The Bible says that because of sin, we're all in big trouble with God. Has that now this is for everybody, the adults. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But has that ever been real in your life? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever realized the trouble, the danger? You're not just swimming around in the pond having fun with your friends. You're going to sink. There's danger ahead. God's wrath is coming on this world. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can rescue from the wrath to come. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. He came. He lived a perfect life. He gave himself as the price for my freedom. So that I could be free. So that I don't have to be afraid of God. So that I can die with peace in my heart. I can be brought back to God. Have a new relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. And I'm thankful for him. And now I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to look on or believe on anyone else. Jesus Christ. I heard one man put it this way in Bangladesh or in India, sorry. He said this. He said that man is a sinner. Man's enslaved to sin. He can't save himself. He said this. He said, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's true. There's nothing you can do. You need a Savior. You need Jesus Christ. And He came. 
and he was faithful, and now what? Now the promise of salvation is there for all that would believe. The promise. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Jesus said that the wedding hall, there's still room. It's accomplished, it's ready, it's standing open for people to run to for salvation and forgiveness. That all that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on Him and you'll find His promise faithful and true. To be freed from the curse. Christ Jesus became a curse for us on the cross to redeem us from the curse of the law. Praise the Lord. Now let me address a different kind of person. There's a kind of person that does say amen. Some people have never said amen. But there's a different kind of person. They say amen, but they say it in a very light and cheap kind of way. And that simply will not do. Lip service does not make a person a Christian. A profession of faith does not make a person a Christian. Going to church and singing the songs right next to a Christian does not make you a Christian. It does not make your praise acceptable to God. It has to be a real amen from the heart. Now, why do I say this? Because especially here in this country where the gospel has been in the past. Now, today there's not much gospel. But in the past where there has actually been great revivals in this country. And now... There's churches all over the place. There's kind of a Christian background. It's not really the real thing, but it's there. And the Bible is there and different words that are true are there. And in a way, that's very dangerous because some people, they have the Christian life in word only. They, they've accepted the word of God halfway. Um... I think of particularly when I go to people's homes, I see these little plaques, not just believers' homes, totally complete unbelievers. They'll have little plaques in their bathroom or on their wall, like Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good to give you a future and a hope. That's not the real work of God in their life. And I, wanna, I, I just want to warn, if anybody has come here today, you can fool other people but God knows what's going on in your heart. To be honest with God is a big deal. Some people, they've never really repented. They've never really learned to fear God. They've just taken one little isolated promise from the Bible, a good thing, a nice thing, like Jeremiah 29, 11. And they say, I like that. That sounds good and peaceful. But they've never first been humbled before the Lord. They've learned the language of Christianity. It's amazing. You go overseas, it's the same way. People will say things like, praise the Lord and amen. Or they'll say things like, you know, Lord willing, we'll do such and such. They learn the language to talk like a Christian. I remember um, Bill McLeod, he, he said one time in a sermon, he said his daughter, who had had a profession of faith for years, she came to him in tears and they didn't know what was going on. The mom and dad said, what is it, honey? What's, what's happening? And she said, Dad, I am not saved. I am not a Christian. And he said, what? He said, no, we, I mean, you've made a profession of faith a long time ago. She said, no, Dad. She said, I just learned the language. I just learned to say what I knew I was supposed to say. But I don't have a relationship with God. And many people, they live their whole life that way. Covering it up on the outside. Too ashamed to tell other people. And, and they're holding back in their unbelief. They don't want to come to God. And they're saying amen. They're singing the songs. They'll agree when you talk to them about the Bible. But it's not a true amen. This kind of amen is vain. And eventually, they may hold it to the end of their life. They may play out the lie and play the game until they die. But most of the time, or some of the times, you know what happens? When calamity strikes in their life, they let go of the faith. Job, he believed that God was faithful. And when calamity struck, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's wife, what did she do? She said, curse God and die. 
And sometimes the best thing that God can do in a person's life is to send a trial upon their life to show, to prove whether their faith is true or not. Because many people, as long as everything's going good, as long as there's money in the bank, as long as there's four wheels on the car, they'll keep praising the Lord, they'll keep the Christian radio station turned on, and they'll just go about their life thinking that I'm in with God, I've said amen to God, but they haven't really dealt with the Lord. And so I want just to probe and I want you to think, is this who I am? Have I said amen to the Lord outwardly, but I have no peace in my heart? I've never had assurance that I've been saved. I've never felt like I've known the Lord. I've never felt like I've been able to rest in Christ. Go to Him. You don't want a half salvation. Think of what Jesus said to the man. If you ever thought about it, it's real interesting. There was a man who was blind and Jesus healed him, but he wasn't fully healed. He could see a little bit. But Jesus asked him, he said, well, what do you see? And he said, I see men like trees walking. What was that about? And then Jesus touched him again and he could see fully. I think part of what that's saying is just like this. You've got a person, they've been touched by the Lord in some form or fashion, but it's not the full thing and they know it. And Jesus is going to ask, what do you see? And you've got to be honest with him and say, I... I don't see like I ought to see. I, I mean, I kind of see. I kind of get it, but I'm not really in. Be saved. Enter the kingdom. Do whatever it takes if he has to touch you again to where I see everything clearly now. That's what you want. You want clarity. You want peace and life. And he can give it. He promises it. He doesn't say uh, that if you come to me, I'll halfway fix your sin. I'll halfway forgive your sin. I'll halfway bring you from death to life. It's, it's full salvation. He saves to the uttermost. Don't rest until you've been saved to the uttermost. Okay, a third kind of person. Some people, they say amen with a knowledge in their mind, but they're full of doubts and fears. They're not trying to play games with God, but personally... They can say amen in a general way, but personally, they cannot apply it to themselves. And maybe there's different reasons. They feel unworthy. They feel like God doesn't love them. They feel like the promises of God are not for them. Christ died on the cross to save sinners, but I don't believe he died for me. I don't see how God could love me or save or forgive me. This is very common. Believing in general, but not believing in a personal way. Now, let me just say this. All of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. These promises are meant to be taken hold of, to be claimed personally. A promise for me. For example, it's like he says here, all of the promises, not some of them, not half of them. Think of a medicine cabinet full of different kinds of medicine. And you can take any one you need. You got this kind of sickness, you take this kind of medicine. You got a different kind of sickness, well, there's a different medicine over here. And you can take whatever you need. Think of the Bible like that. What's your problem in life? What's the problem in your soul? I can promise you the Bible speaks to it. There's a promise for you if you would just believe it and receive it. They are all yes in Christ Jesus. And can be claimed. And God wants you to take it. Like, like a key. Like have you ever seen those big. Sometimes the janitors have them. Or the, the security guards have them. Big key ring. Hundreds of keys on there. And they can open every door in the place. I've got a, I've got a key for every door. The Bible's the same way. His promises are like the key. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a key. Take the key. Use the key. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a key. These are keys that God gives. Like a feast where you can eat anything you want. You don't have any restrictions. You don't have to wait. You can go to the table and take as much as you want. When Jesus fed the 5,000, there was plenty left over. The promises of God. The provision of God in Christ Jesus for salvation. Even Adam... 
Even Adam couldn't eat from all the trees, but we can take all of the promises of God. It's all open. What would hinder a person from being saved? Everything has been made ready. Come. The one that's thirsty, come. Take of the water of life. Robert Murray McShane was a preacher in Scotland, and he said this. I can't remember exactly, and I didn't have my book with me to quote it, but he was writing a letter, I think, to one of his friends, a pastor or something, and he said this. He said, the problem I find with most people in our church is they simply refuse to believe God, to take God at his word. What's written in the Bible, they don't want to believe. No, I can't, I can't believe that. I know it says that, but I don't want to believe that. He just said, if they would only take the promises of God and believe them. That's why it's been given to you. You want to be saved? You can be saved. These promises are open to you. Don't, you don't have to wait around. You don't have to have these special experiences. The promises of God are meant to be claimed. You remember the story from Pilgrim's Progress? There was the, the two women, Christiana and Mercy. They're standing at the gate. They're getting ready to go in. Going to enter the kingdom. Going to march on to the celestial city. And Christiana, she had a personal invitation. So she went up to the door and knocked and she got in. She got through. But Mercy, her friend, didn't have a personal invitation. And she began to think in her mind, well, I didn't get a personal invitation like she did. Maybe I'm not invited. Maybe I can't go in. And maybe you feel the same way. I've looked at so-and-so. They were saved so amazing, so powerful. God spoke right to them. I haven't had any experience like that. Maybe God isn't trying to save me. Maybe I should just stay in my sin and live for the world. But what did, what did mercy do? She began to fear. She began to fear of staying her whole life outside the kingdom. She went up to the door. She started banging on the door. Let me in. And she began to cry out, let me in. And when, when, when the Lord opened the door, he let her in. He welcomed her in. She got on the other side. And she asked Christiana. She said, she said when I, I was so afraid that I almost fainted. And when I began to knock on the door, I was desperate. I began to knock on the door really loudly. Did he get angry when I did that? And Christiana told her, actually, no, I saw the Lord. He smiled when you began to do that. <laughs> to pound on the door. I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live my whole life not knowing God. The promises are for you. They're not for a certain, a small group of people. They are for you, for anyone that would believe on the Lord, anyone that would take Jesus Christ. He'll save anyone that comes to Him. Come to the Lord and be saved. Don't live your life for this world. Let God be true and every man a liar. And let God be true and all of your thoughts and all of your unbelief. Be counted as liars. Your mind will tell you things that God word, God's word does not say. Who are you going to believe? That voice in your mind or the scripture? If you will just put aside everything else and say, I don't know a lot of things. I don't even really know a lot about myself, but I know what's here. And I can see it. It's true. This is what I want. And you believe you will be saved. Faith comes through hearing. Take the Word of God. Take the Bible. Those of you that aren't saved, why are you not reading the Bible? Take the Bible. Take these sermons you're hearing. Anything that a Christian tells you in conversation, whenever you're coming in contact with the Word of God, take it like it's life or death. Hang on every word. Write it down. Pray about it. Lord, this Christian today told me such and such. Is it true? I want to be saved. Take hold of God's Word. If you want to be saved, if you want to be in the kingdom, you'll be in. Because Christ has done everything needed to forgive you. Christ has finished the work on the cross. It's a free salvation. It's not like Islam. It's not like all the other religions of the world. You don't have to do, you can't do anything to save yourself. All of that is vain. The, the people that try to save themselves, they're all headed for destruction. But Christ is able to save Take the word, hold on for dear life, 
And you won't be disappointed. The Bible says that everyone who takes refuge in Him, they will not be condemned. And that whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Um, I think of the lines from that song, I don't know if I can remember it, where he says something like, um, if I still hold closely to Him. You know that song, Art Thou Weary, Art Thou Languid? He say, they, they say in that song, will he say me nay? Not till earth and not till heaven pass away. Is he sure to bless? Saints, apostles, prophets, martyrs answer yes. There's enough testimonies even in this room for you to know the Bible is true. God can change your life. That sin that you're in bondage to, that miserable depression and life that you're living... God's, he's done it in other people. Why can't He do it for you? He is sure to bless. God is faithful. Christ Jesus is yes. The promises of God are yes. Now let me say one last thing to the believer. All right. For the believer, we say amen. We've learned to say amen to everything in the Bible. From front to back. Cover to cover, we say amen when we read what God has here. These are the precious and magnificent promises by which we become partakers of the divine nature. Not only by the promises of God do we enter the kingdom and, be, and, and we're saved through this word that's been imparted to us and preached to us and that we've read. Not only does it save us, but these same promises, this same faithful God, these promises that are all yes in Christ Jesus are the way that we move forward in the Christian life. If you want to grow, if you want to be stronger, if you want to gain victories in the Christian life, if you want to do exploits in the Christian life, how will you do it? By the flesh? By the works of the law? No, by hearing with faith to take up the promises of God. And there are so many promises in the Bible. I just want to spend a little time encouraging the believer. Take them. Search them out. Find a promise specific for your situation. What's your trouble? You're saved. You're in the kingdom. But you've got a life full of troubles. Full of battles. What is it? I can promise you. Here you'll find a word. Directly addressed to you. And maybe when you'll read it, your heart will just jump for joy. Because you realize, hey, that's exactly like what's going on in my life. And look what the Lord did for them. Look at what the Lord said here. When you, when you run across those verses, grab a hold of them. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you, as your heart becomes warm, when you read the Word of God, as you begin to gain knowledge of the Word of God, you will grow in grace. Taking hold of these precious promises. Everything. Whether it's sanctification Overcoming a sin in your life. The Bible has promises. Believe what God has said. You must believe. If you, if you read about it, well, I know the Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over you, but... And then you start to insert your own words. You're, it's like you're undermining every... It's like you're standing on the rock. God has said, sin will not have dominion over you. And then you say, but, and you step off the rock. You take your eyes off Christ, you're going to start to sink. You have to, you have to keep your eyes on Him. You have to believe His Word. So sanctification in the Christian life. You've got some besetting sin. You've got some anger, some temper, some proud heart that you can't seem to control. Take something from the Word of God. The promises have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They're available to us. We take them and use them. When you, when you want to do evangelism, you want to share the gospel with somebody, take a promise of God. Take something you see in the Word of God and bring it to the Lord before, before the Lord in prayer. Lord, you said, if I would pray, you would give life to the brother that's fallen into sin. Lord, you said that the gates of, of our enemies we will possess. You promised that to Abraham. Lord, you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So you take up the sword of the Spirit. You go to the gates of hell and you bang on them with the sword of the Spirit. And they fall down. You can't do that in the flesh. The walls of Jericho will never fall in the flesh. But by faith in the Word of God, in what He's promised, 
He is faithful. And if you will put your faith on this, it will happen. It's a miracle. But if we hold back in unbelief, the miracles won't be done. Jesus couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Set your eyes, put your faith on Jesus Christ and His words. Say, Lord, I can't see anything. I don't see any answer to this prayer. I don't see how in the world this situation is going to change. But I read something today in your word. Lord, this is what I need. Give this to me. And you wrestle with God and you hold on to the promises of God for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for your workplace, wherever God has placed you. If you want to see progress, if you want to go forward, take the word of God and claim it and hold it and the walls will fall down by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. This is interesting. Sierra and I were in uh, the car with James the other day. And we're listening to this audio, The Holy War, John Bunyan's Holy War. And it's interesting. He was saying in there, he said there's different gates to the city of Mansoul. Do you know what the chief gate was? The ear gate, not the eye gate. This was interesting, and I started to think about it. Is that true? That the ear is more important than the eye? Now think about this. In terms of the spiritual life, we love the eyes because it's, I mean, sensory. Wow, we can see everything. And you don't want to lose your eyesight. But think about this. In terms of spiritual things, what if you could not hear the word of God? What if you could not hear preaching anymore? What if you could not have fellowship anymore? You have, you have the thoughts aren't going in. Think about how much what we're hearing. What does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing uh, by the word of Christ. And it's true for the Christian. We walk by faith, not by sight. What we let go into our mind. What we let pass through our ears. You know, what you see with your eyes sometimes is not really that important. You can see things with your eyes and the word of God is saying exactly the opposite. It seems seems like... Everything's fine and the rich have no pains in their death and everything continues as it, as it did from the beginning. And then you hear a word in your ear, but remember the flood when it came and swept them all away. And suddenly it's like the spiritual life comes back, reality comes back. So to make progress, we have to have faith in the word of Christ. And I want to say this last thought. It's not just enough that we have a hope. It's not just enough that we have faith. But I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. It says, if we hold fast the boast of our hope, firm until the end. The boast of our hope. Our faith, our hope should be such that we're boasting. We're not just hoping, we're boasting in our hope. We're proud to talk about it. We're happy to talk about it. We're stirred up in our heart. What Jesus Christ has done for us that we not let it become cold. That we not let it grow stale. That we have the taste of the manna in our mouth. That we remember, that we have the joy of our salvation, the boast of our hope. So if you've begun, if somehow in the Christian life you've begun to grow cold and slide back, you're not boasting anymore. You're not singing like you ought to be. You're not rejoicing like you ought to be. You've got to get your faith stirred up. You've got to go back to the promises of God. You've got to remember all that God has done for you. Forget none of His benefits. None in the past. None in the present. None that He's promised for the future. Stir yourself up with the promises of God. Look at these great promises He's done for me. And then again, we begin to boast. We begin to walk with this fullness of joy.